It's Friday, October 19th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. In Pennsylvania and beyond, the name Johnstown is synonymous with one thing, flooding. First, it was the Great Flood of 1889, which killed thousands. It was the greatest loss of civilian life during a single day in U.S. history, with the exception of September 11, 2001. Then there was the 1936 flood. It caused tens of millions of dollars in damage and led to the establishment of a sales tax on alcohol. That's still in place in Pennsylvania to this day. Damage from the 1977 flood ran into the hundreds of millions, and more than 80 people lost their lives that day. The memory of all those events is still fresh in Johnstown, and in a way, that awareness gives the city an advantage when it comes to confronting climate change. If you're thinking about resiliency, one of the great things is we're taking weather into consideration and changes in weather. And every community should really be thinking about how this change will impact their community. Right now, Johnstown is in the process of reimagining its relationship with the Little Connemaw River and with the larger landscape it inhabits. But this goes way beyond flood control. It's about the wholesale transformation of an ailing industrial city into a thriving mountain town where residents and visitors alike recognize the value of recreational assets and the amenities that go along with them, where the health of the community is inextricably linked with the integrity of its natural and built environments. The rivers are here to be used. The trails are here to be used. We can create these things here in our community. We don't have to leave here to do it. It can be done here, and it's being done. The new vision for Johnstown on this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies. The interesting thing about what's happening in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, is that it's not a government initiative exactly, although the city, county, and state all have important roles to play. Rather, it's a complex and multifaceted collaboration, driven by grassroots action, coordinated by NGOs, supported by interagency cooperation, and endorsed by the business community. One important node in that network is the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape, one of seven regions targeted by the State Department of Conservation and Natural Resources for strategic investment in things like sustainability, community revitalization, conservation, and outdoor recreation. PAC serves as external lead for the landscape in the Laurel Highlands, and in that capacity, we work closely with organizations like the Community Foundation for the Alleghenies. Mike Kane is CFA's president. I visited him at their office in downtown Johnstown. Community Foundation uh, for the Alleghenies is, you know, place-based. We serve primarily Cambry, Somerset, Bedford, Indiana counties. Uh, we also do, because of some relationships with donors, some, uh, we're involved with the Foundation for Pennsylvania Watersheds and some other environmental grant making. So we really focus on those four counties, but some of our grant making goes uh, really across Pennsylvania. What's happening in Johnstown right now is... Something I think that's uh, been building but really is getting to the point now where there's really some uh, energy and some activities happening here that I think might surprise people and and might be worth uh, checking out. And really a lot of it has to do with some of the area and some of the mission of the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape Initiative. And here's what I mean by that. A few years ago, we started something called Vision 2025. And the goal of Vision 2025 was to develop a framework around which we could engage our local community on growing Johnstown. We developed these capture teams around building green space, around access to the river, around trail building, all the kinds of things that the landscape initiative really had a focus on too. 
So the work that the Landscape Initiative had done to date, the work at Queen Mahoning, the um, Whitewater Park, some of the trail development and so forth, that was such a focus of the Landscape Initiative really became a focus of community engagement in a new way because we were able to bring these capture teams, these groups of people that are committed to seeing change happen, uh, we were able to bring these capture teams to some of the work that the Landscape Initiative have been doing. You know, the, probably the most uh, visible one right now is the new mountain bike trail built on the, uh, the Incline Plain Hill, which is already attracting people from Pittsburgh and Virginia and so on and so forth. And that was a, a local guy, Mike Cook, who decided that he was going to do this, recruited volunteers, got a small grant making that we provided, but he did it. He, he pulled it all together. It's a technically correct mountain bike trail. And the, the fun thing about it is that you start at the top of the hill and you wind your way down the mountain and then you can take the incline back up to the top. And so what happens is they're, they're already selling group tickets so you can, you can go up and down all day and keep riding. And it's really, really wonderful. Uh, there's also a walking trail that was developed there. And those will be connected to the uh, urban trail connectivity plan that really has been discussed really from the early days of the Landscape Conservation Initiative and how can we connect all our trails? How can we provide this not just mission-based connectivity but actual physical connectivity through a trail network? And so that trail network is really under development right now and will connect to this Incline Plain Hill. It'll connect to the Path of the Flood Trail. It'll connect to the Jim Mayer Trail that will go south to connect to Flight 93 and then to the Great Allegheny Passage as part of the 9-11 National Memorial Trail. So all this kind of work, the conservation landscape helped, to my view, helped lay the groundwork to say, look at these things that are possible. Look at this region that wants to do all these things together. And Vision 2025 brought a community engagement to that. So that's been the big change here in Johnstown uh, that's really helped advance the vision of the Landscape Initiative. In the past, has Johnstown been accustomed to sort of thinking of itself as as sort of separate and distinct, or is has it always been part of a larger landscape? Is it moving more in that direction? Yeah, I think because of where we're located. A couple takes on that. I think in some ways, we've really not thought as regionally as we should. You know, we're in a little mountain valley town, and sometimes um, we think things that happen here only happen here, and there's a, there's a here and then there's a there instead of this idea that we're, we're more connected. And, you know, when you have this trail activity, when you have all of a sudden you're, you're seeing cyclists coming in from wherever, and you're seeing boaters with license plates from the whole eastern United States come in, uh, you begin to think a little bit differently about that. And that's been kind of nice for the town. And so what's happening is you're seeing a little bit of uh, excitement being generated because of that. You know, we have an outfitter right in the heart of downtown. Uh, we have brew pub just open, another restaurant just open. And you can see the bikers and the rafters, in their gear, visiting those places. So you're seeing a little bit of a little bit energy uh, in that regard, and that's really nice. So that is, I think, to your point, that is starting to see a broader connection that we're a part of, as opposed to just being, you know, sort of siloed. Yeah. Tell me more about the Whitewater Park and how that yeah. project came about, and, and what your role in it was, and uh, and how the landscape yeah. figured. Well, Whitewater Park came about because of it was really grassroots. The Benz Creek Canoe Club guys that thought about it for years 
we began at the Community Foundation to say, look, how can we help to move this forward? And so we we worked with Pittsburgh Foundation, a Pittsburgh Foundation. We worked with uh, DCNR, and we worked and supported some of the planning stuff. And what we found out was not only was this feasible, really it would be unique not just to Pennsylvania, but really to much of the East Coast. I think we're the second one in the East Coast to have actually an in-ground whitewater park. And the reason that the time was right to do it, and I can't stress how much Growing Greener and the advocacy of DCNR and support of DCNR as part of the landscape initiative helped to play into this. The timing was good for all those reasons, but there's another reason that the timing was good for it, and that's because of the work of a lot of people, the Somerset Area Conservancy and others, to clean up and, and Stone Creek Connemaw River Improvement Project to clean up the river. So the point was we were able to actually build a feature. We were able to build a feature that invited people to the river. That wasn't happening for generations around here, around much of western Pennsylvania. And so we were able to invite people to the river. We were in a position where the river was improved enough that it was an attraction and an, and an asset uh, as opposed to a liability. That's a big change. And the Whitewater Park is important because not only is it a place for boaters to come, is it a place where the rendezvous come, where outsiders come in and spend money as part of that $3 million I just referenced, but it's also a community park. Uh, it's also a local place for local EMS teams to do training and local fire companies to do uh, river rescue training, veterans that use it. So it's, it's really a community park as much as it is a whitewater park. And I think that's really cool because what we've done is create an asset that has both local and outside impact, and I think that's really wonderful. Second part of that, though, that's almost equally important is it's almost become a symbol to say, look what the rivers are here to be used, the trails are here to be used. We can create these things and in here in our community. We don't have to leave here to do it. It can be done here. And it's being done here. And you're finding groups of people that are stepping up to maybe not do things as adventurous as an in-river whitewater park, mountain bike trail being built around the Cui right now, sections of the Path of the Flood trail being built right now. We have uh, green space teams that are working on any number of community gardens and vacant lot reuse stuff right now. So there's a lot going on. Well, I'm interested in what you were saying about how the with the Whitewater Park, the river is sort of transformed in the public consciousness, not just as uh, you know a potential driver of economic growth, but also I think you alluded to the idea of sort of cultivating environmental stewardship that way. Is that something that you're seeing happening elsewhere in the community? Are people thinking of their fortunes as tied to the environmental health of the Laurel Highlands in a way that's new? It is in a way that's new. I think that when you're able to talk about using the Stony, for example, as a place where you can actually fish or swim, and then you have groups like the Ben's Creek Canoe Club and others that do their annual cleanups, and and groups like Scrip that are advocating for continued AMD remediation, what you have, it becomes a community stewardship kind of look, and it's raised the awareness of the importance of environmental remediation. And here's what I mean by that, and there's a very direct link. Right now we're working on developing, with DEP, who's been phenomenal on this, developing a new uh, treatment plant for the Little Conemaw with an idea of having a goal of restoring the Little Conemaw to a trout to fishery level. That'll make it cleaner than a stony. Now, give me an example of how much this has changed. 
10 years ago, DEP did not have a recovery plan for the Little Connemaw. There was no qualified hydrological unit plan, no QHUP. It was not even on the radar. It was dead. The Rosebud Mining came in. They wanted to remine. As a result, they had to build a treatment plant, took about 30% of the discharge out, and all of a sudden there was life to be in the possibility of renewal of the Little Connemaw. So what happened was, we, uh, through the Foundation for Pennsylvania Watersheds and DEP, we decided, well, let's, let's talk about the possibility of increasing it more. Series of meetings determined we could get 80% of the remaining discharge out by connecting some discharges below ground in the mine pool and then pumping them out and treating them. Mm-hmm. So that the, the planning is underway, the site planning is underway right now for that treatment plant. And that happened in, for a variety of reasons, but one of them is because people saw the life in, going on in the Stony, and they realized we can do this, and then we can benefit from it. At St. Michael's right now, you can walk into the, to the houses along the, the river, and in the little backyards, they've planted bushes to hide the river from their backyards. And by 2022, they're going to take those bushes down because they're going to be able to enjoy the river. They're going to be able to fish there, swim there, stick their toes in after dinner, whatever, what have you. So our whole region is sort of inviting itself back to the rivers. We're reconnecting. You'll hear from others about the Riverwall Project, which is to work with the Army Corps to do the same thing throughout the city in terms of deconstructing the river walls. That wasn't thought of 10 years ago. That wasn't on the community's radar. Now it's being talked about as a keystone project for the community. And that's because efforts like the Landscape Initiative to really change people's thinking and and Vision 2025 to be able to articulate what's possible. Looking to the future, what's next for this area and what role will hopefully the conservation landscape play in that? A number of years ago, as really in parallel with this, we brought into the uh, Chamber of Commerce a young woman from Roanoke who studies mountain towns, and she studies them along the uh, Appalachian Ridge, and she's developed a set of benchmarks for what a mountain town is. And, you know, basically to her view, a mountain town has really a, a community along the Appalachian has been able to develop attractions using outdoor-based and environmental participatory-based activities. Mm-hmm. And as she said, everybody says the mountains look good, but if you just look at them, you might as well be looking at a postcard. Let's let's get into the mountains. And so we want to do that here. And we, we're working toward her benchmarks. And those benchmarks are, are what you might think. They're about accessibility. They're about amenities. They're about environmental remediation. And we can see where we fit contextually, and we know we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. So we want to continue to work on that. You know, I, I would love the idea, and I, I'm beginning to hear it now. I just heard it the other, the other day from somebody when people come in here and they say, I had no idea that all this was going on. And right now you can see. You can see and feel there are things going on. I want more of that. Mike, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you. Happy to do it. Mike Kane, president of the Community Foundation for the Alleghenies. 
You'll recall early on in our conversation, Mike spoke about the Vision 2025 initiative. Perhaps more than any other single entity on the ground there, Vision 2025 is at the center of Johnstown's transformation and as such warrants further exploration. To learn more, let's meet some of the people behind it. My name is Ryan Kita. I am a coordinator with Vision 2025. And I'm Wally. Burlack, and uh, I am also a coordinator with Vision 2025. Vision was initially conceived as a way for all of the major sectors in this community to come together, get aligned, and then plan as a community for growth and development going forward. We are in place to facilitate that process and help folks, particularly from the grassroots level, develop plans and projects and put together initiatives and efforts to move the overall vision forward. Uh, We've been in place now for just shy of three years, and we are looking ahead to the year 2025 and beyond. Just to add a little bit, vision was a framework that was conceived by the Carnegie Mellon University Center for Reinventing Cities. So it, it has a platform of three general areas that it focuses on. One is environment, one is economy, and the last one is community. Folks come to us with projects and ideas associated in one of those three areas. One of the cool things that Vision allows for is it takes the responsibility for the work that needs to be accomplished outside of the typical domain of the city and government. While government is a partner in what we're doing, it really allows for business and agencies and individuals uh, to make change in areas where they are specifically committed and compelled to move the needle forward in seeing a resilient city. Focusing in on the environment piece of that equation, what does that look like? What kinds of work are you doing along those lines? Well, I'll kick this off. So the thing about environment here is this is a city that only considered environment as a resource, whether it be extractive or use for industry. And so what we have tried to help folks understand is that environment is really this enormous asset. If you look at the river walls or you look at our trail system or you look at the scenic beauty that exists, most Johnstown folks have taken that for granted. In fact, they've treated the rivers as gutters um, for pollution or for flood control. And so for many, many years, folks just sort of didn't see the rivers for what they are. And what we've really tried to do is help folks understand that actually the environment here is an economic driver. And as folks are learning what that means in terms of environment, community, and economy, this light goes off in, in their head that they're like, oh my God, we have this really beautiful place that we live and we can like walk out our door and really enjoy it. Can you think of an example of, of a project or, or some, something you did that really brought that into focus for people? I'm not going to say that we did it, but there's a uh, company here called Coal Tubing and they provide inner tubes and whitewater rafting opportunities for folks on the Stony Creek River. It is remarkable the impact that that company has had on introducing people to Johnstown, but also introducing Johnstown to the asset that our rivers have here. 
And it's fascinating because when you look at them as an economic driver, they're serving six to 10,000 people right now uh, per year, depending on water levels and that sort of stuff. 50% of those people come from two to four hours outside of Johnstown. So that is, that's money coming into the community. And then of that percentage that's coming into town, another half of them are either staying overnight and or using other public amenities like restaurants or we have a new brew house and that kind of stuff. So just seeing that impact within the community, folks are recognizing, oh, this is why we cleaned up the rivers. That's just one example. So and it's rivers, but it's also trails and greenways, outdoor space? Yeah, and, and the way that we like to sort of frame the whole vision in terms of the outdoor sector is that there's this, this really amazing downtown, which is walkable, and it's situated right between these really beautiful hillsides, these majestic green really beautiful hillsides and then you have these rivers that flow through so as much as we can weave in a network of hiking and mountain biking trails into that uh, hillside setting crashing into downtown as much as we can weave in river access and river trails and public parks and green space and all of those amenities um, it's just a system that sort of layers on top of itself and makes for a more robust green sector are you thinking in terms much of looking beyond the immediate Johnstown area, making connections with other trail systems or other destinations in the Laurel Highlands generally? Is that part of the, the thinking? Yeah, we definitely don't, we don't exist in a microcosm. And so one of the really amazing things that we have is the 9-11 trail will be coming through right through downtown Johnstown. And that's connecting Washington, D.C., through Johnstown, across most of Pennsylvania, and then up to New York City. So that those connections are really important, and we are already seeing people utilizing components of that particular trail, which has a way to go, but those connections are critical. There's also um, the Path of the Flood Trail, which ties into the, the mainline trail. And that goes from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh and eventually up to Cleveland. And so those connections and then the ability to bring folks from outside in and then get folks from Johnstown to enjoy those amenities going out is sort of all part of the big picture. Are people generally in this community, other nearby communities, are they getting their heads around the relationship between stewardship and outdoor recreation and economic development? You said that's sort of been slow to come maybe historically, but are we are we at that tipping point yet? It is growing and growing and growing. When Ryan and I first started our work here, I don't think that there was the same appreciation. This community has always been an outdoor community, especially because of fishing and hunting. Um, when you look at the number of hunting licenses that exist here, it tops the list in terms of counties in, in Pennsylvania. And so there has been a traditional sense of that. But, you know, people may have been hunting just because of food, while they enjoyed the experience, or fishing for the same reason. But they never saw it as an asset, like this is something that we need to preserve. What we now see are people like flipping around and saying, this is good for us because it's good for the community, and it preserves this asset that other people really want to enjoy. One of the things that just occurred two weeks ago was we opened up our incline plane mountain bike trail. That's a 
100% grade, and I think it's a 1,000-foot drop over a very small amount of space. In other words, it's steep. And we were able to have a ribbing cutting, but we were also had our first race, and we were able to attract people into the trails. Now, as, as you get more and more people into the trails, they, their sense of conservation, preservation just goes up, and they realize that you can be right outside of a city, like in the city, and you're in this really beautiful, geologically distinct location. A really, really cool anecdotal story about the mountain bike trail. So this is a Vision 2025 team has been developing this trail since last fall, darn near every weekend through winter and then into the summer. Trail heads up at the top of the incline plane, and then you ride down, and then you can get back to the bottom of the incline plane and ride back up. The local transit authority, which manages and owns the incline plane, has seen a significant uptick in sales on that particular asset because of the development of this trail. So they've begun to change their business model, and they've begun to measure what ridership means to their business model. Are bikes, uh, bike lanes, bike trails, part of some larger vision for transit as well, You know, going beyond the incline? Are people using bike lanes and trails to get around town, people that already live here? Well, we don't have bike lanes <laughs> yet. So that's another cultural shift that will need to occur. It's not that we are planning for them, but, yeah, you're more likely to hear a horn blast uh, around a biker. And, and so that's that's just another progression. Definitely people are talking about it. Uh, folks are actually talking about having a bike shop downtown. And so that's it's that gentle movement over a period of time but it's a highly bikeable city because once you're in johnstown it's fairly flat it's just as soon as you get out of the city you're going uphill we often talk about economic development in terms of tourism and bringing dollars in from out of town but is there also a way in which you know as you guys are responsive to businesses are they looking to develop these assets in order to attract the best employees that they can get Yeah, what we know is that as we sit here today, within Cambria County, there's over a 1,000 jobs available today. And one of the things that businesses are finally talking about is the assets that the community has to be able to attract folks to this particular region. Uh, It's a very affordable place to live. There's a lot of arts amenities as well as... You've got a great healthcare system that's sitting here, and you also then have these outdoor amenities. And so when you look at that demographic that they're trying to attract, it's folks that really want a walkable city, you know, want to be outside and outdoors, and then want other amenities within the city. And so all those things sort of build on each other. So Johnstown has 9.2 miles of concrete entombed river within the city, and that's four miles of bank mirrored by four miles of bank, 9.2 miles total. And these things were constructed by FDR in the late 1930s as a response to 50 years of disastrous flooding. Since they have been built in the 1930s, they've sat uh, initially as just a means for flood protection and pollution gutterage. And so when Vision began about three years ago, It was identified by Carnegie Mellon University through a lot of the local uh, interviewing that they did that something really needs to be done with these rivers and with the river system in Johnstown. Uh, It's not conducive to access. It's not conducive to recreation. There's no true economic riverfront that leads to economic development within the city. 
they still serve the purpose they served in the 1930s. So the river walls are owned and maintained by the Army Corps of Engineers. It is the Pittsburgh district's largest federal installation that they still own uh, within their district. And so what Wally and I did is we approached the Army Corps and said what I just told you. And we said, how do we just begin the conversation around talking about what remaking these walls could look like or investing in the system somehow? And what they told us, which was a little bit surprising, was that nobody has ever asked that question. Nobody's ever said, how do we rethink the rivers as something other than a means of pollution control and flood control? And so we've now been working with the Corps for three years. They have a number of projects they're working on, initially just studying the system, trying to understand what makes sense in terms of modifications, particularly interested in environmental enhancements, in access improvement, economic development, and sort of everything in between. By the way, shout out to the Corps. I know that uh, a lot of times they they get a lot of grief, but they have been tremendous to work with and really progressive in helping people understand. They put a ton of effort into helping us with an interagency meeting, and it was all of the federal, state, and local agencies that work within Johnstown, and just getting those agencies together, like having the core sitting with the DEP, sitting with the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, sitting with our local conservancy folks, um, having all those people in the room and saying, oh, well, we can help you with this. And, you know, the Corps is concerned about flood control and commerce, but the DEP's concerned with water quality, and DCNR's concerned with, you know, similar types of things. And having them say, here's how we can work together, really helps move the project forward in a really positive way. There's still very much a fear in this community about flooding because it's, it's built in a floodplain. And so one of the things we consistently need to make sure we talk about when we talk about rivers and river walls and all that kind of stuff is that we won't and the Corps won't compromise flood control and life safety. That is the mission of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And so as we've strategized and planned around what these things could be made into at some point in the future, we always need to make sure that we, we let the public know that, you know, we want to improve access and environmental improvements and greening technology and all that kind of stuff, but it's going to happen while not compromising safety. What do the climate models say about flooding in this area going forward? So the Corps has, um, they just completed last year a study using new climate data, which really surprised a lot of folks for the Ohio Basin. So this is the entire Ohio Basin. What the study seems to indicate is is that while within the basin there will be the same amount of precipitation, where that precipitation occurs is likely to change. So the western part of the basin is likely to see a 50% reduction in precipitation. The eastern part of the basin is likely to see a 50% increase. So if you're thinking about resiliency, one of the great things is we're taking weather into consideration and changes in weather. And every community should really be thinking about how this change will impact their community, whether it's more or less. Is that a delicate issue uh, in, in this community? Are people ready to talk about it? 
people understand the impact of weather and what they tangibly see. And uh, for instance, we've had an incredibly rainy summer here, and um, they understand flooding. And so climate change isn't central to the topic when you're talking with folks who live here. They understand that it's going to flood, and so we need to build that into anything that we're going to do. Gentlemen, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. You are most welcome. Ryan Keita and Wally Burlack are coordinators with the Vision 2025 initiative. You can learn more about it at johnstown25.com or via links in the show notes for this episode at peckpa.org. And that'll wrap up this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies. We release new ones every other Friday, so check back in a couple of weeks for the next installment. In the meantime, there's lots of fresh content for you to peruse on the Pennsylvania Environmental Council's website, which is, again, at PECPA.org. A bunch of new videos just went up. We've also got uh, new blog posts, an opportunity to sign up for our In Case You Missed It newsletter released every month. And, of course, we're on social media on Facebook and on Twitter at PECPA. One more time, the website where you can learn all about PEC's program work in the conservation landscapes, so doing reforestation work in watersheds, of course, trail planning and development, energy and climate, and much more across the Commonwealth. Again, it's at PECPA.org. Pennsylvania Legacies is a production of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. It's recorded in Pittsburgh at one of our four regional offices serving all parts of the Commonwealth, produced by yours truly with help from other PEC staff. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, also uh, Google Play, Stitcher, and pretty much any other podcast platform via RSS. To learn how to do that, visit our website at pacpa.org. You can also stream all of our past episodes directly from the website if you go to the audio room. Until next time, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening.